and welcome back to another episode of Heart to Health Talk. I'm Zizin. And I'm Sheng Hao. Today for our series, we'll be talking about masculinity and some of the issues that guys and maybe even girls face. So to begin, we have two guests with us, Elmer and Samuel. So why don't you guys just introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Elmer. I'm currently working in an SME as a business executive. I am looking forward to starting my undergraduate this year. Hi, I'm Samuel. I just returned from Hokkaido, Japan, where I was teaching English to Japanese school children. I graduated from UCL last year. My degree was in comparative literature. Just to get the ball rolling, we're going to go off with one of the bigger questions. What do you think of when you hear the word masculinity? It's a hard question to answer. I think even for experts, it might be hard to come up with a fixed definition. Why not we try to look at it in a different way? Do you have any male role models in your life? When you talk about role models, I think for all of us in common, it is your dad. He was my first and probably my most prominent male role model. I believe that what makes him my role model is his ability to essentially do anything. Whenever the plumbing is spoiled, he can fix it. Whenever my mom needs something, he does it. He's also expected to be a breadwinner in the family. Yeah, I think I've the same experience as Elmer, just that my brother also played an important role in my formative years. What's interesting is that they aren't what you consider conventionally masculine. Neither my father nor my brother were athletic, not tall, nor particularly strong, but yet I look up to them all the same. I think it's quite interesting because you mentioned that there is this idea of conventional masculinity. What does conventional masculinity look to? You mentioned athleticism and Elmo also mentioned how his dad could fix anything, which I think is something that a lot of us experience. Like my dad, he's the person who earns money. He's also the person that fixes things in the house. He's also the person that helps to get things when we don't have any. Something that's like conventionally masculine is what you mentioned, able to fix things, breadwinner. Maybe this idiom is a bit problematic in itself, but my mom's the one who wears the pants in the house. Conventionally, I guess a masculine person would be tall, strong, dependable, reliable. When I was growing up, there's a lot of culture that you consume, maybe through a film. You look up to people like Brad Pitt, and that's like the alpha male. You mentioned some of the adjectives that we associate with masculinity. Tall, strong, not able to do everything. Not everybody is tall, not everybody is strong, and not everybody can do everything. So does that mean that automatically all those guys who are not able to do that, you're just not masculine? Definitely not. I think there are many ways of being a man. Where toxic masculinity comes into play is when that conventional idea is expected of someone and is policed by both men and women. And if you don't fit into that, then you're not considered a real man. But in my opinion, I don't think that that's true. And if I probe a bit deeper, would either of you consider yourselves fitting into that? No. No. Going back into the idea of masculinity, reason why I think that I don't fit in the stereotype is because I use a lot of products that would be associated for feminine use. For example, for my skin and conditioning for my hair, shaving as well. So these are things that I would say traditionally would be more of concern to females. But for me, I use them almost on a daily basis just because I feel this desire to maintain my facial condition. Because, for example, if I have outbreaks of pimples, it's very, very difficult for me to have a clear facial complexion if I don't buy these kind of skincare products. I think that is why I would not consider myself fitting for the traditional definition of being a masculine person. It's interesting because I feel like increasingly maybe it's also to do with popular media it's getting more popular I think that men are willing to put more emphasis on the appearance whether that's hair skin care so it feels like it's not really something that's gender or sex specific it's really just that you are human nobody likes pimples everybody wants to take care of their skin it's really as basic as that but it seems like as Elmer just said there is some kind of attachment to the idea that oh you do skin care and because of that you are more feminine 
I think it's very much perpetuated by media as well. Some of you might be familiar with the meme saying that guys can rub anything on their face and they won't get any facial conditions. They can rub a bar of soap on your face and nothing will happen to their face. Wait, where's that from? Yeah, a couple of memes circulating on it. It basically builds on the fact that guys have some fortified resistance against all sorts of diseases that plague their skin. This kind of media reinforces the stigmatization against the use of products that are more catered to females. I think it really ties into the modern definition of being metrosexual. I would say that guys right now, especially if you take a look at how popular K-pop stars are recently, they exhibit metrosexual features. They really emphasize on stuff like skincare, stuff that essentially you really would associate with the feminine in the past. So I think right now this liberation of the traditional gender binary kind of roles is really great for people like me because I kind of want to tell people that I use skincare products as well but I still have this sort of underlying fear that I will get stigmatized against because it's not something that's really common in Singapore. I think there's a name for that kind of archetype. I know the Chinese term is ruanan, soft man or gentle man. That's the translation of it. It's a more popular thing because I was looking at the Chinese top celebrity list and the guys that top it, they are not really your five, six pack Chris Hemsworth lookalikes. So maybe in a way it's a shift. And would you guys say that it's a good thing or a bad thing? I actually just had a very interesting conversation with my sister about this because she's recently got into BTS. There is this shift towards these more slim, petite men. But yet at the same time, I was telling my sister, not everyone looks like those K-pop idols. So although there is a shift from Chris Hemsworth or Brad Pitt kind of masculine men, but there's also an almost unattainable expectation of men. I'm positive that with such a shift, there can be opening up of considerations of what makes a man a man is not just restricted to tall, strong, white men. But at the same time, I think that the male beauty that these K-pop stars, 0.0001% of people actually look like that. So it's good. But at the same time, there's a corollary to that. I totally agree with you on that because watching K-dramas is the people with clear skin that appear more attractive. Are there any aspects that you feel contributes to the idea of masculinity? Maybe in terms of achievements, I guess what's really masculine is that you're expected to be successful and that ambition is a very masculine trait. But I feel that that's a stereotypical trait that masculine men have, be the breadwinner, work in finance, in investment banking and make it to the top. Earn millions by the time you're 30. That's I feel is a very strongly masculine trait. I felt that it strongly ties into the fact that guys are expected to bring home the bread. They are expected to earn a majority of the income for the family. In traditional households in the past, we also see how women are also subjected to being a housewife or taking care of the kids. Essentially having female or rather motherly roles in the house while the father goes out to work to put food on the table. So I think that is more pertinent gender role that we see. And it seems to be still the fact in our current society today where we still expect guys to still earn majority of the income. Even though we see we see more females in C-suite roles, we see more females being able to take up roles that traditionally are more dominated by men. So even with this phenomenon happening, we still see that there is still underlying stigma against men and that particular expectation for men to achieve more than females in that regard. I think that's quite interesting because the other day me and Shanghao are planning for this podcast. We're also talking about this other podcast and they're discussing what they would expect in their partner. 
one of the expectations that they had was this idea that they wouldn't want to date someone that earns a lower income than them. I was talking to my friends about this idea of men's health, especially friends who are the most passionate about feminism. Ultimately, they'll still come back to this condition of theirs that my ideal partner, although it would be nice if he can earn more than me, if he earn lesser than me, I might feel a little bit uncomfortable. Or if he's shorter than me, I might actually feel a little bit uncomfortable. Which I think is quite interesting because on one hand, they're trying to push forward this idea that everyone is equal, but they still buy into this expectation of having to have higher achievements. Actually, I want to talk about height. Height is interesting. I don't know what the average height in Singapore guys is. I would assume it's high 160s, maybe 170. In general, we say, does height matter? The politically correct answer is no, it doesn't matter. But honestly, it does. And I think that doesn't matter for which gender. Going back to what Zizin said about the podcast, just for context, all the hosts were female hosts. And they were saying, if the guy is too short, then it will be awkward, for example, to hold hands. I'm not very tall. I'm 166. So I guess I'm below average among Singaporean men. It's something that I've struggled with for quite some time. But then I ask myself, why do I want to be taller? Is it so that I will be more dominant? It implies that I want my partner to be more submissive and in a way almost inferior to me or less imposing than I am. When I examined it in that way, I was like, yeah, that's true. But yet at the same time, as a shorter person, I still do feel like me judging myself sometimes. Height isn't often thought of like in body image discussions, but I also realized that height does play a role and it's something that I can't really change about myself. And it took some time to work through those thoughts and understand why I was feeling the way I am. If I can sort of probe you a bit deeper, so you mentioned you managed to work your way through, would you be okay with sharing what are the strategies? Yeah, I thought about why do I want to be taller, taking all the assumed values that I placed onto like height, tall persons like this, uh, short persons like this, and then I take apart those associations. I don't see why this is necessarily the case. Why is it that these values are put on tall people like strong, posing, dominant? And then on the other hand, short persons made fun of, taken as more subservient, submissive, which in conventional masculinity isn't valued. Just unpacking those associations and thinking, why is it the case? Now, I'm able to stand back and see, okay, why am I thinking about this about myself? Why do I feel less valued if I'm a short person? Would you say that having gone through that process, it also helps to make yourself feel much more comfortable and more confident in your own body? Yes, I would say so. But you know, sometimes it's just an automatic natural instinct. Of, I just feel that I'm too short. I remember when I visited my friend in the Netherlands, the Netherlands is famous for being super tall. I went to the washroom, I was washing my hands, and then there was this really tall Dutch guy, I think it was 2 meters. Everyone was 1.8 and above, Like this guy was 2 meters, he was exceptionally tall. And I saw myself, because I was washing my hands, in front of the mirror, and I looked like an actual child, like a boy. It's just a natural instinct that you can't really stop in that moment. I think one idea you mentioned was how height is correlated with the idea of dominance or submissiveness. And through your introspection, you realise that you don't necessarily have to be the more dominant person or this idea of alpha. I think it's quite interesting because being alpha is one of the aspects that we would traditionally expect someone who's masculine to be. In that case, would you aspire to be masculine? Do you feel that masculinity has to be defined by how alpha you are? There are some male role models that we would come to respect, but they don't necessarily carry this role of being an alpha. I don't think I necessarily have to be masculine. Anyone can have masculine and feminine traits. There are good feminine traits, there are good masculine traits, and there are bad ones too. And to me, it doesn't really matter if a person exhibits feminine characteristics. And we're going to start all the way back into our early years and sort of trace our own journey from going to school. We're going to look at secondary school. We're going to look at NS. I think NS is the big one. And then we're going to talk about different aspects of it. So let's just go back to primary school. Is there anything particular about masculinity or about how boys act in primary school that strikes you? I have a story. It's about an experience that I had. A couple of years back, I was tutoring this uh, primary six boy. 
he just finished his PSLE. So we are like, okay, let's reward him by going to watch a movie, right? So we are trying to decide on a movie. Right? So that was 20, I think, 19. And Frozen 2 was showing. I really wanted to watch Frozen because I like the first one. But he didn't want to watch Frozen. I thought 12 years old animated movie, usually good match, right? But then he thought that because I guess the main cast was mostly female right, other than Christoph, he thought that it was a bit embarrassing to be seen in the cinema watching that movie. So in the end, we actually watched another animated movie. I think it was the one where I think Will Smith's character turned into a pigeon. It's interesting because he's only 12 and then he's already internalized all these things, maybe based on what he hear from his parents, based on what his classmates say. And primary school kids, they really can say some things that they don't even understand at that age. He's already forming his own internal um, understanding of what it means to be masculine. And clearly, he's affected by how he's perceived by others. Because he doesn't want to be seen in the cinema watching Frozen 2. Because, and I quote, it's for girls. I think that's quite interesting. Because at that point in time, he probably wasn't really thinking about what is masculine. But more of what he thought that a boy should be doing. And because that movie had mostly girls, he felt that as a boy, he should not be watching it because that is not what a boy should be. So this idea of masculinity is a very gendered thing. I suddenly realised that masculinity doesn't necessarily have to be tied to the male gender. Can a female have masculine traits? Maybe one aspect we can look at is toys. Maybe both of you can share what toys do you all play with when you're growing up? Definitely no Barbie dolls, mostly cars, action figures, Pokemon, Beyblades. Maybe Zixian, you could share what toys were you playing with? Honestly, I had the best of both worlds. Because I have an elder brother. When that happens in most family, it means that the toys that he has will be passed down to me. Or if my parents buy one toy for him, they will buy another toy for me. And it's usually a one-for-one or a two-for-something kind of deal. So when he got dinosaurs, I had dinosaurs too. When he had Beyblades, I also learned how to play Beyblades. But on the other hand, I also played Barbie and all that. So I feel that toys that should belong to a boy didn't really happen for me because... We were both playing the same toys, and he would help me to braid my Barbie doll's hair. It's quite funny also uh, that most of the time, the toys that we buy for children, we will buy certain things that as older people will feel that this is what a boy should be playing. I think I actually recall something from my primary school years now that thought through. The fact that you shared about how you also got some of your brother's toys. It also ties a lot about experience. You were able to get the best of both worlds, as you said. You are able to play with both Barbie dolls and dinosaurs and cars. I think it boils down to the fact that you're able to experience whatever that was expected of both genders to be playing with. Primary school, I think what I recall very prominently was that there was almost an aversion to female contact. From what I recall, there were a lot of teasing and childish reactions to talking to the opposite gender. And suddenly, all your friends would be like, Hey, you're a couple. Because you don't want to be associated with that kind of teasing, there is some form of aversion to interacting with females in primary school. Because of that, you kind of don't really get to know what females do or how they behave. And by association, what your female classmates were actually playing with. I'm pretty tickled because the way you described, we didn't know how the regular behaviour of a female is. As if it was the BBC doing a documentary on a specific type of animal and their behaviours in a natural environment. Yeah, my primary school was all boys. My secondary school was a co-ed school. When I was in primary school, I felt like I policed myself. Seven-year-old me would not have played with Barbie dolls or things that he deemed girly. But I enjoyed cartoons with female leads. For example, Totally Spies, Kim Possible, or even Powerpuff Girls and Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy too. I remember feeling embarrassed at myself that I liked these, and I didn't know why I was feeling that way. But I watched them all the same. But now I can see maybe I was so judging even myself. But interestingly, those shows that I mentioned, all the female leads have very masculine qualities at Kim Possible. When I went into a mixed secondary school, I didn't at first really know how to really talk to girls, even just as friends. 
Okay, I do have close female friends, but most of my close friends from that time are still, you know, maybe it's just because it was easier coming from an all-boys school to mix with them. Yeah, really, because there's quite limited interactions in the past. For some, they are fortunate or unfortunate enough to be in a boys' school since primary school. And for some of them, the female gender becomes sort of an abstract construct. All my life, I've been interacting with males only. I went to a boys' school in secondary school. shaped how I viewed females because you were interacting with guys almost on a daily basis. And I would say there are some form of locker room talk. There are some stuff that you wouldn't normally say when you were interacting with people of the opposite gender. So I think getting to interact with people of the opposite gender allows some form of understanding where we are able to understand what both genders are doing, how they are behaving, and by extension also being able to understand what masculine and what feminine traits are. And by understanding, you are able to accept that people can have both traits, even though they may be biologically male, they may exhibit female traits and vice versa. Alright. Well, I feel like in this episode so far, we've talked about how masculinity is shaped by all these different traits and all these traits and expectations of men and all these expectations of what masculinity should be doesn't seem to have really positive effect on guys. On the next episode, we'll be talking about even more interesting things like NS, crying, and expressing our vulnerabilities to our friends. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more, you can follow us at our social media platforms at Hard to Health Talk, where additional resources and nuggets of wisdom can be found. See you in the next episode. Bye!